what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. We'll look at, you know, how do we create product services and experiences for our clients that start from a place of empathy of the audience that they're trying to serve. So. So welcome back to Meet Bridget. Thanks so much for joining in again today. For those of you who don't know, I'm Kashia Rosenberg, COO of Meet Bridget, and I'm here with my best friend and founder, Asha Gabriel. Together, we run a confidence and communication platform for teen girls. Welcome back. We are here with a very exciting guest. Her name is Tasha Nicholson. Tasha is currently an engagement manager at Adobe, where she helps her team solve challenges creatively through a process called design thinking. Her current role with Adobe's digital strategy group allows her to combine her passion for human behavior with a management consulting lens. DSG, that digital strategy group, advises Adobe's enterprise clients on how to better serve their customers through digital touchpoints. I met Tasha in business school at our program at the USC Marshall School of Business, and we instantly hit it off. As you'll hear, it's hard not to hit it off with Tasha with her dynamic and warm personality. So without further ado, Tasha, welcome to the show. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're thrilled to have you. We have had a lot of entrepreneurs and creative types on the show, but it's um, sometimes hard to get a hold of people who work for bigger companies. There's, you know, approvals and everything that have to happen. Um, but we're really excited to share the perspective of someone that's brought a very creative mindset and strategy to a big company and has found happiness there. So we'll get into all your career goodness. But of course, we always like to start with your early years, formative years, finding out where you grew up, your family. So where where were you born? Where did you, did you grow up? Yeah, so I'm from a small uh, suburb just west of Boston, Massachusetts. Um, so the Boston Marathon actually passes through my town. That's kind of like one of its, you know, very few claims to fame, along with the electric clock being invented there. And so my high school mascot was the Ashland Clockers, um, <laughs> small town USA. Um, so I'm an oldest sibling. Um, I have a younger sister. And uh, I would say that we very much live up to the family stereotype. Um, I'm very much the conformist. She is the rebel. That's how it's always been. Um, but we actually complement each other really well. And um, she's my best friend even today. I love it. I think one of the, when we really like connected, I was doing like a, a speak up night. We had like a mi open mic night um, where people from our business school class would talk about, you know, life experiences. And one thing that I was talking about included my relationship with my sister. I remember that, Asha. That yeah. Was so and you came up to me after and you were like, I have a sister and I can totally relate to your guys's dynamic and like how important that relationship is to you. And obviously we're all about sisterhood here and Kashia has a sister too. And I love how you worded that too. I mean, Asha and our fascinated by the inner family dynamics of like oldest to youngest sibling and especially especially with older sisters and younger sisters I'm the oldest of four kids but between my sister and I I would say that your description's absolutely accurate one being the conformist and one being the rebel and I'm like looking at Asha knowing that she's younger than her sister and I can totally see that so totally. I've never actually like thought about it that way with those labels but I I mean I can I can see that for sure. And like the, you know, the pressure on the older sibling to like do everything right and be like the model sibling in a way and be an example for your younger yeah, sibling. You, ha you have to pave the way. So you have to like, you know, keep your shoes shiny and your side of the street clean kind of thing because you always have somebody looking up to you. I do feel like it's interesting though, like as we've gotten into, you know, our, our I guess I just turned 30, but you know, my sister being in her mid 20s, me being um, freshly 30. I, I'm trying to figure out when exactly the role switched and when I really became able to like rely on her as an equal for like me to fall apart and her to have my back. Because I think for a while that wasn't really the dynamic. But now I we're much more peers and, and best friends and like that sister dynamic. But yeah, it is 
that whole like conformist rebel thing is always going to be there. Um, She's always going to be one living like the crazy New York City life. She lives here too. And I'm always going to be not doing that, but I love her stories. So it's best of both. (laughs) It's funny how like you, you go through these different stages in life. And I love how you guys have kind of reached this point where you can be a little bit more like you step out of that like childhood dynamic. But I've even noticed that with my sister, like the second there's a little conflict or a little something, we kind of revert instantly back into those roles. <laughs> it's like, oh, yep, yeah, that's that's still there. That's it's never going away. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so what's the age difference between you two? Uh, four years. Four years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So is it just you and your sister? Do you have other siblings? Yep. Yeah. Just my sister and me. Um, and then my my mom and my dad. They've been married for um, over thirty years. They still live in the house that I was brought back to when I was born. So I feel like I I was very much blessed with like a stable, um, pretty consistent upbringing, which also maybe makes me do a little less well with change. <laughs> um, but definitely very fortunate to kind of have that like small town childhood. Um, when I was kind of prepping for this and reflecting back, I, um, you know, once you get out of like your small town, like high school world, and you start to see more of like how other people grew up, um, I I realize now that ha- living in a town where everyone goes to the same elementary school, middle school, high school, um, actually is not always the norm. So I pretty much grew up with like the same group of kids from the time I was like five till 18. Um, and I'm actually super blessed that uh, some of the friends that I have from first grade, second grade, third grade are, um, you know, it's kind of like seven of us girls and we're all still very close. So um, very, very fortunate to have people who have known me through every awkward phase of my life uh, have all the blackmail. <laughs> um, but I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. That sounds like a like a book or movie. I always like I love to hear the stories of the friends that are like, oh, we have our group of five or seven or 10 friends. And we've been like, you know, friends since we were tiny, tiny girls. What were you like when you were like a young kid? Did you instantly form that like kind of tight knit friend group? Or were you a little slower making friends? How what were you like? Yeah, I would say that probably my biggest defining characteristic, both when I was a kid and even carrying into adulthood and even like the performance review that I had today at, at work. I had my 2021 review today is um, this sense of empathy. That's what I've always been told kind of is like the thing that people notice about me um, affects like my leadership style, how I like engage with my family or my friends. Um, even in like first grade, my parents were getting this feedback from my teachers of that. I've always cared a lot about other people's feelings and really prioritize friendships, relationships where that felt reciprocal. Um, but that that also sometimes is hard, right? I think especially when you're a kid and you're trying to, um, you know, like harness your emotions, like that. that's part of growing up, um, especially when you're someone like me who um, feels emotions very strongly. Like I, I think about um, particularly one year in, in grade school, um, I was getting bullied a lot and I would um, break out in hives and like throw up before school because I was so nervous to go. And I think from a young age, I've realized that I'm like a very intuitive person, but also that I feel my emotions very strongly. And that's been kind of an ongoing work for me is, you know, figuring out how do I harness that as a strength? Because I do view it that way. Um, It makes me, you know, kind of like pick up on people at work or when I'm working with clients, kind of pick up on their body language of, are they re- is something that I'm saying resonating? Are they like pulling away? Um, you know, it's, it's been a very helpful skill, but also one that like it's work. Um, and I, I feel like that's definitely carried through since I was a little kid. I would say kind of like on the, the flip side of that, I'm also uh, I've always been like very creative um, where most of like little girls, I feel like my, around my age were playing with like Barbies and all I cared about was like crayons, markers, Play-Doh, <laughs> blocks. Like I, I just wanted to like build things. Um, and probably one of the few like bad things I ever did as a kid was I, I definitely had a rebellious phase after my sister was born, I think, because I was like fighting back for the attention. Um, and there was one time that my dad came home from work and I had finger painted his entire desk in his office at our house with, uh, <laughs> with paint. And he never washed it off. <laughs> it he just left That's it really sweet. That's very <laughs> um, sweet. Just covered in like 
lime green highlighter orange like just covered i love it just a burst of creativity <laughs> i had a similar thing except it was like a little bit later on i was probably like 10 or 11 and instead of like yellow and orange paint it was like sharpie marker i love ryan gosling and leonardo dicaprio <laughs> was like growing pains and, and young hercules <laughs> i was a weirdo so i would i would write my name in like asha i'd go my mom said they painted the house like the whole interior of the house one time and this was older when i was in like a teenager but they had found all these little like in corners of the house i would like, write my name with a little box around it where people <laughs> wouldn't see it like i was like staking my territory or something I'm like you just weird. wanted like, to be you wanted to make your presence known but I like oh i'm like a <laughs> <small> thing. Way. <laughs> yeah, it feels like quiet rebellion that's like the perfect that's the perfect definition for asha in a way though like the quiet rebel is yes yes very telling see this is this is exactly why we talk about our childhood years. I love how you talk about empathy as a strength and um, sort of a double-edged sword. One of the things that Asha and I have taught in some of our workshops, when workshops were still safe to do, was that um, attributes are, are neutral qualities. And so similarly, um, what we mean by that is something like empathy can very much be that double-edged sword where on the one hand, you feel things so deeply you feel other people's feelings so deeply, but then what do you do with that? And do you use that as a strength? Or is it something that works against you if you are feeding too much into one side versus the other? It's all about balance. So how did you start to balance that out as a kid? Like, did you have any hobbies or any outlets? Like, tell us a little bit more about what you what you did as some of your creative or physical outlets. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, really early on, my parents had me in um, like after school art classes. So um, that was a good way to, you know, like bond with other kids, but also kind of have a creative outlet. And um, I think, you know, it's definitely something that I've prioritized throughout my life. Like even I, I have this like tiny apartment in Brooklyn, but there's a whole area that's just like all arts and crafts supplies. And I think one thing I really love about art in my personal life as an adult is it, it is kind of like me time where I can put my head down and, you know, I have like full control of like the canvas or if I'm doing like collage, you know, whatever, cutting things out, like whatever it is, it's kind of like heads down me time. I've realized more and more as an adult, like how important that is. Um, I also would say like in high school in particular, I was really involved in team sports. So um, I played field hockey, I uh, did the hurdles in track and field, and I was um, captain of my lacrosse team. And there was actually kind of a running joke. There was like three co-captains on the lacrosse team my senior year. And um, I was mom. There was mom, dad, and baby were like the nicknames of the three captains because of all of our personalities. But I think even in those moments, I was like the kind of like maternal uh, team captain. So it's always something that I look back on in high school. I'm like, so I was like, mom figure at, at 18 but I mean it's, it's flattering of course it's flattering but it's just kind of funny <laughs> well I think that that's such a big part of like I feel like what our interviews uncover a lot of the time is that when you're reflecting on on your career and the person you are now it, you're able to find these little root things and you're like I guess you know yeah maybe I wasn't doing the exact things that I'm doing as a career when I was you know four I wasn't a prodigy I wasn't a project, but you can recognize like little things that, oh, those, those seeds were there from such an early age. And we like, we like to share those stories because sometimes for younger girls, they can realize like, oh, like this little thing that I've recognized about myself that maybe I'm like insecure about because it makes me different. Like maybe that's the thing that's actually going to, you know, blossom as I grow up and um, find a career and build a life. And I think kind of like what's behind that nickname too maybe was was a sense of listening that someone felt like they could come to me and tell me if they were having a, a problem and feel like I would listen and you know when I when I look back on the job I have now it's that's basically all I do is like if a client ha has a problem like listen to them and if I'm running like a brainstorming session with my team like build on their ideas and push push the idea further and it really is all all connected and sometimes I think it's just hard in high school to know like 
how that will ultimately manifest as a job because I, I didn't realize listening was even important when I was in high school. I was thinking about like, oh, am I, what label am I? Am I a student athlete? Am I a like artsy, fartsy girl? Am I like a nerd? You know, like what, what bucket or like what box am I supposed to fall into? And I think over time, I was fortunate enough to realize the value of not putting yourself in, in any box and just knowing like what you're learning over time, what you're good at, what gets you excited. And those can kind of, that can kind of be like the, the road that guides you rather than I'm this, not that. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. Did you, could we go back for a second? I know you mentioned that you had um, some trouble with bullying as a kid. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how you handled it and, you know, whether or not your sense of empathy kicked in or, or whether that came later? When I got to, I think it was fourth grade, you could kind of go into two different types of programs in my elementary school. You could go into a program that was more project-based learning where it was um, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders all in the same class, or you could go into more traditional, you know, all fourth graders in a class together. And all of those childhood friends that I mentioned all went into the mixed, um, I forget what the name of the like, concept was called, but um, they called it like the, the neighborhood, like all these mixed level uh, classes. And I decided I wanted to be in, you know, just with kids my own age. So I wasn't with those childhood friends who I, I really valued and just had a hard time kind of making new friends in that class and um, just kind of felt like an, an outsider and um, was actually able after that first year to move. My parents were able to get me moved back into um, those classes with some of those childhood friends. And while I think it was, it was honestly, I think an experience of like grit and toughing it out from a young age, um, but also realizing how much I did value those girls who I was able to like get back reconnected with who again, like we're now all going to each other's weddings and they're having kids and everything. And we've just grown up together and, and seen each other through through the good and the bad. So I think it was, it's honestly more than anything like a testament to them and how much I wanted to, to be with them. Um, and unfortunately, I was able to get reconnected. As you were going um, up through high school and everything, how, how did you kind of perceive your sister as similar or different to you at that age? Hmm, that's a great question. I, I feel like I've always seen my sister as like, I, I know I use the term rebel, but I think uh, another version of that is more carefree. I would say my my mom, my dad, and me are all pretty like type A, like structured by the book. And she's much more spontaneous and can just get along with different types of people. Every year she would pick up like a different hobby, whether it was like learning how to play the flute, then it was track, then it was soccer, then it was guitar. Like she, she just kind of can like put, get involved in anything and like do a great job. And I think I've always admired that about her, that she she will just kind of take on, try out different things. She's not afraid to fail. She has like a scrappiness about her that I think I've always admired. And uh, she's probably going to listen to this and like laugh because, you know, the, the little sister is supposed to look up to the big sister, right? But I really have always, even when she was my annoying little sister, have always admired that about her, that she's not afraid to try new things and fail. And I think, you know, playing out in my career there's been so many times, actually like every major milestone I've ever had in my career has started out as like me not getting what I want or some sort of mess up every single time. And it always ends up working out better, but you have to, and this is something I've learned from her, like you have to get back up and you, you have to kind of like lower the expectations of yourself too at times where it's like, I don't have to be the best at this. Like I can just play and have fun and try things out. And, and there's value in that too, um, which I've definitely learned from her. That's such good advice. I love just hearing how you learn, you know, kind of reciprocally from your sister. That's, that's really cool. What, what does she do now? Um, so she works at BuzzFeed. Um, she's on their ad operations team. Very cool. So she helps run the, the um, all the ads that you would see if you were looking at BuzzFeed listicles or whatever it is. I love that. So let's take all of this childhood experience and sort of segue into how this has started to shape your career. I know you met Asha during your MBA program at USC. 
how did you start to formulate this idea of self about what you wanted to do, where you wanted to see yourself as an adult coming out of high school? And how did you sort of come to that road of, you know, bringing your your current career into fruition? When I was in high school, like I mentioned, I loved all things creative, but I I think I I didn't really understand all the different options for how you turn creativity into a career. Of course, there was, you know, you could be like in film or TV or advertising, which is what I went into, you know, thinking that that was a logical path uh, for me because I liked, I liked listening to what people wanted and what people think. And I also like being creative. So advertising is kind of a natural fit. So even in high school, I, um, I knew I wanted to go into advertising or marketing, work at an ad agency. That was pretty much you know, in true, in true form, I like had my eye on the, on the prize. But even, even in college, I, I had a really hard time getting an internship at an advertising agency. I applied to every single major ad agency in Boston, um, except for one that I didn't know about, which would end up being the one that I would work at, ended up not even getting an interview at any of them and ended up interning at the Dunkin Donuts headquarters, um, which was the next town over from where I went to undergrad. So they had a good connection with them. What's interesting is that, again, like things don't, you don't know how things are going to work out. You just take the opportunity that you can get. And I was so fortunate to have this internship, but little did I know, Dunkin is a huge marketer in the Boston area. They work with every ad agency. So all of a sudden these ad agencies that weren't taking my calls, weren't answering my emails, my bosses were like, oh, you're interested in advertising? Because, you know, I told them about what I was looking to do. And, you know, they were able to really advocate for me. And all of a sudden, I was going to have all these tours at all these ad agencies that summer. All of a sudden, this whole like world was opened up to me that six months ago was completely like, I couldn't, I could not break in. So it just goes to show, I think, how you can like wind up in interesting ways, like at, at like your dream job. It's not always like a linear path. Long story short, my internship boss ended up helping me get my job at the ad agency that I joined after graduation, which was Duncan's ad agency for their uh, mobile app and loyalty program. And she ended up being my client. So that was very early on, like, okay, never burn a bridge. Because if your internship boss likes you and you work, work hard and do a good job, she can not only get you, uh, help you get a job, but she uh, also could be your client for years on end. Um, and she, she was always a huge advocate for me and honestly probably helped me like sit in on meetings that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to like being pretty junior. So those four years that I was at the ad agency were, were amazing. Like I, I got to work on like really fun projects and I had this role in consumer insight. So I was really putting like those listening skills to work of sitting in focus groups, like the, two, the one, one way mirror rooms and hearing people um, work, not, not just with, Dunkin' Donuts type customers, but all different clients that I worked on, um, hearing from their customers directly about what their needs were, how their needs were being met or not, and how, you know, then me taking that information and figuring out, okay, how, um, how can this company better show up for them? That kind of philosophy of listening and, and market research really has been like the carrying thread throughout my career. So for me, going back to business school was not because I didn't like um, consumer insights. It was that I wanted to be a little more upstream in not, I think when you're at an ad agency, sometimes you're taking somebody's vision and executing on it. And I realized that I wanted to be a little more at the front end of, you know, not helping Dunkin' Donuts launch cold brew, but being the person to decide we should do this because this is where the market is going. This is what people want um, for the, the audience that we're looking to serve. So that was kind of the shift that I wanted to make, which is uh, why I went to um, USC and, and where obviously I met Asha. I love this. I love this track so much because it really not only speaks to your ability to continue swimming upstream, if you will, to keep going with your metaphor, but also that, you know, things like you said, don't happen in a linear fashion. For girls that are interested in pursuing careers and they're not really sure where they're going to land on their feet, what were some of the tactics you employed? Because like you said, one day you're an intern and a couple years down the road, that person is your client. So how did you specifically like maintain these relationships and 
put yourself in the place to continue moving upward toward your goals? Like what are some of the main tactics you have employed? Yeah, I think um, some really good coaching that I got from a contact that I had at the ad agency that I um, ended up working for when we met that summer was at the end of my internship, uh, she kind of coached me and, and was like, okay, you should follow up with me in October and because this is when we do our first round of university hiring and you should follow up again in January. Like she, she laid out a timeline for me, a follow up with me at these times, which, you know, she did not need to be that explicit, but also as like a 20 year old, like, thank you for doing that. But I, that's something that I always encourage. Like if people have an info chat with me about Adobe, I say, you know, have it not just with me but with anybody you speak with if you're interested in the company like don't don't let it be a one-time conversation you know like make sure you understand their hiring timeline and that and if they tell you to follow up that that you do it that you set a um, note on your calendar you know I need to email this person and I need to I want to reply back to the initial email thread that we had you know like have that continuity Um, it's amazing how like these little things can just make a huge difference of showing that you really want to be there, that you um, have accountability, that you'll follow through, that you you have continued interest. Um, I feel like that was such good coaching on this, this woman's part who helped me when I didn't really know, frankly, like what I was doing, like, but, you know, not being afraid to ask, I think is probably just a huge, a huge theme overall that no one can really advocate for you if they don't know what you want. So it really has to start with you putting the ask out there and I think you just be surprised at how many people are willing to help you because someone helped them. You know, it really is like a pay it forward. That's such good advice. I mean, even when you're talking about interviewing for all these ad agencies and not even getting or not interviewing, applying and not even getting an interview, um, you know, it could be easy for someone to then say, I guess I shouldn't go into this field or maybe this isn't right for me. But instead of doing that, you just kind of kept moving and you're like, okay, but there's this opportunity. And then it, because you still had that desire and that interest and and you expressed it to someone where you were working, you know, people helped you and they kept, you kept attracting these things that would ultimately lead you to an even better route to where you were going. So I think that that persistence, even despite, you know, some detours or, or not having things go the exact way that you think it's supposed to is so strong. And then the the follow-up tip is so, so important because I think, I mean, I, I experienced this daily in my real estate career. It's like, it's easy to think, oh, maybe like that person didn't respond to me. Maybe they hate me or they think I'm being annoying or this. And like, you can kind of, if you don't hear back from someone, you can assume and create like a re- response out of your, your own insecurities. And oftentimes it's like people are just busy. Like think about when people reach out to you, you don't always like get back to them right away or life happens. So I think that just not assuming and as long as you're respectful, um, especially when you're in a position, you know, you're a young person and you're just trying to learn, no one faults you for following up. And and it is actually quite rare to have someone follow up and follow up. And I've I've hired people in the past, but just because I was like, look how persistent this person is. And I'm so glad they reached out again because that totally slipped my mind. And I'm so glad that they're here now when there is an opportunity. Yes, especially these days with this huge influx of, you know, information and media at our fingertips. I feel like the important stuff has a harder time floating to the top. So it's especially important to maintain persistence in a respectful way. And I think that's the perfect, your your story is like the perfect example of that. Yeah, and I remember like when I was at the ad agency and living in Boston, I would go to a lot of these, you know, women in business, women in tech, women in marketing panels. And I used to look like sit in the audience and look up at them and they would have this perfect narrative, you know, with like a bow tied on it of, oh, I was interested in this and then I pivoted into this and then I went back and got this degree and and I would just sit there like, how how am I gonna ever be one of these people like I I feel like I'm just like clawing at clawing for something and then you know being a a couple I don't think I'm ready to be one of those women sitting on a panel but with a little more kind of experience under my belt you realize that the narrative you can make the narrative make sense in retrospect right like I can say that 
you know, empathy is like the common thread of my career and walk through like how everything in my resume supports that or doesn't, whatever. That's easy in retrospect. But when you're in it, you're just like clawing and that you're you're just fighting for the next thing and you make it make sense later on. <laughs> but maybe maybe that's part of the key. It's like one degree of separation today makes, you know, a universe of difference. So I feel like that might be the takeaway is like you keep clawing, but you're clawing upward in a direction. So I mean, from there, you look back and you've clawed yourself up so many flights of stairs that you're like actually where you want to be. And I, I think that that is so important is like the path is not linear. It's messy. It's difficult. It's strenuous. Like sometimes it's two steps forward, five steps back, and then, you know, tally ho. But you know, clearly you're a shining example of like what happens when you just kind of keep your your head down and do the work. I know. And it's it's funny because I think part of the natural process of, uh, you know, really coming into your career is like we all have that desire, I think, especially right around like the 30s and stuff to look back and like see the common threads and make everything make sense. And then you you literally like there are practices where you create a narrative when you're going out for a new job or you're presenting yourself where it's like, this is my story and you pick certain things, but it can be kind of deceiving for someone that's really young, that's trying to look to become those things. Cause they're like, I don't, ha I can't see, I can't see that empathy is going to be my thing, you know, that I'm going to stand on 20 years from now. Like, I, I don't know. And that that's okay. That, that looking back, you can know that that'll eventually happen. But in the moment, as long as you're moving forward and staying present with the opportunities that do show up for you and the mentors that are providing you with time and advice that if you're taking those moments, when you look back, eventually it's all going to make sense. Yeah. And I think just keeping that sense of curiosity, you know, of exploring what, like I, I don't work in advertising now, you know, so just like keeping an open mind about what, what, what interests me, like what am I passionate about? What comes naturally to me? And then being flexible on how that is applied um, because that that can change over time. Totally. And when you're young, I feel like you, you know, they say like pick a career and, you know, as a young person, you're only really exposed to so many careers, whether it's your teachers or family or parents or whatever. It's a handful of careers that you really even have a sense of. And even then, you don't know what it is like to be in that daily grind. Maybe it's something you actually hate that you think that you want to do when you're younger. But there's something about that career that is actually a thing that's present in 20 other careers, you know, that could be right for you. So knowing that like the thing you pick initially really might not end up the thing you end up doing. And that that's fine and great too. I love it. So, okay. So from the advertising um, world, where did you kind of go go next? And during this time in your life, like in young adulthood, did you have any other personal things that went on? Have you had any young adult, like really pivotal or difficult or just, you know, important events outside of work? Not in particular. I would say like one other formative experience I had while I was living in, in Boston was I um, got involved with a, a nonprofit called Minds Matter, uh, where on Saturdays I was working with a uh, high school student who went on to be first gen college student. Um, ended up going to Dartmouth, getting a full ride, but we worked together. Worked together every Saturday on, you know, his essays, his um, summer program prep, um, just because you know for him he didn't always have all those resources on hand for people who could uh, guide him. And I think that uh, really resonated with me too, of just wanting to find ways to help people outside of work and, you know, wanting to put that listening into practice in a different context, because, um, you know, you can grow up one way. And again, when you're in a small town and you go to, I went to a small undergrad, 2,500 students. So um, I think you can get in your, your bubble really quickly so that, that was a good opportunity for me to at least see a little bit of um, how somebody else in my community, right? We both lived in Boston, how we both live. So I think that shaped a lot of um, just kind of how I how I see the world now, I would say. Yeah, he, he graduated from Dartmouth and he's now in consulting. So such an amazing story. 
And you are part of it. Small, a very small part. He did the work. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I feel like kind of at that four, or I guess I was at the three-year mark of living in in Boston and, and working at the ad agency and just realized, you know, I think I'm ready. Um, I've been in Massachusetts my entire life with the exception of study abroad. I think I'm ready to spread my wings a little bit and do something different. So that was really what led me to USC, which um, kind of became another like scrappy uphill battle um, in a lot of ways of going and thinking I was going to end up at a design consultancy and um, just realizing how hard that um, recruiting process was and ended up pivoting into uh, tech because fortunately USC had a lot of relationships with tech companies being in California and then ultimately interning at Autodesk up in San Francisco and then um, accepting a full-time role at Adobe. So um, again, I think it was, it was just like those same lessons coming up again, of knowing what you're good at, but being flexible about how you apply it, like staying true to what you're interested in and not just doing what everyone else is. Asha, I'm sure you can, speak to this too, just the, you get into this program with all these other super impressive people and just kind of like staying internally centered and like staying your path and not trying to chase things that you see other people doing because they look prestigious or appealing. Um, And I I think that that was something that I really had to learn at school is in grad school is um, staying, staying true to who you are, what you're passionate about and kind of like build again, like building your brand around it. And that way, when opportunities would come up, even like my classmates could point me in the direction of things because they knew what I was good at because we would talk about it. Um, and people, people were collaborative. And that was part of the reason I chose SC over any other program was it was not sharp elbows. And I, I knew I needed like to have my people in my corner kind of thing. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. I'm also like, I'm just a super curious person, sometimes to a fault, like sometimes to a strength, sometimes to a fault. And where it's become difficult sometimes, I I experienced that in business school, looking at all these impressive people and seeing like their specific tracks. And I'd get so curious about them that I'm like, well, what if I would have done that? Or like, what if I would have done that? And, And it can be distracting. But that process of like, you know, seeing yourself in all these different potential paths and then being like, but this is the one I'm choosing um, can actually be really empowering. And when you come to a place where it's like, look at all these options that I could have had. And business school was particularly that for me because I had gotten really, um, I had worked in very specific industries where I was exposed to a very specific kind of person. And then coming to business school, I was like, wow, I forgot how many other industries there were and how many different kinds of people there were and different paths. And that was so eye-opening. But then I, you know, in that process, you eventually kind of narrow back down to like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I have to stand in that and not be tempted by, you know, everyone else's stories. But those connections, you know, that come from programs like that, like we still like all have people reach out like, hey, I know you're doing this now. And, you know, I remember you were interested in this, like you should connect with this person. And it's just the best. Trojan family. It speaks so much to the power of collaboration and connectivity. I remember when I was interviewing at USC and I was on a tour and someone said, oh yeah, like people here, if two people are going for some management consulting or investment banking role, they'll prep for the interview together. And I I rolled my eyes. I was like, come on, like everything I know about business school tells me that that is not what happens here. Like that's something that the admissions counselors like told you to say to make people want to come here. And then you, you get to school that that is what happens. It was, it blew my mind that it's, it doesn't have to be this like cutthroat culture, which I think, especially for women, this whole concept that you hear about, about like women helping other women and, you know, not playing into that like catty stereotype that I feel like can be easily placed on, on women who maybe are like operating under like a scarcity mindset rather than an abundance mindset and stuff like all that seeing how at USC like that wasn't a a thing was so powerful for me and like formative for how I want to show up like as a leader like I don't I don't want to I want to like compete with myself I don't want to compete with my peers you know like I want to learn from them well and I think that that's I mean you kind of mentioned a similar thing when you were talking about you know your old internship boss eventually becoming your client 
I think that in situations like what, when you're in competition with someone for the same job and there's only one job or in any situation where it feels like, like there could be scarcity of opportunity, you just, you also don't know like how everything's going to shake out. And, you know, these people, if you're in these same circles, you're probably going to cross paths again and you just might not have the bigger context. So just like staying productive and lifting people up wherever you can, like collaborating to prepare for something that you're eventually going to compete on, that you just never know where your paths are going to lead you. And you could be working together. You could be helping each other later on, um, just never burning those bridges or seeing other people as totally adversarial to your career. Um, because while it can feel like opportunities are scarce in a moment, there really, there is no such thing as a scarcity of opportunity, you know, if you keep the, if your, your mind is open. Yeah. And Tasha, to your point too, I mean, you learn so much from the people that you collaborate with. And I think this goes back, it's very parallel to the big sister, younger sister dynamic. I have a lot of strengths that my sister doesn't have, but I see so many attributes in her that I really admire, similar to the way you and Asha talk about your relationships with your sisters. And I find myself, my sister's eight years younger than me, but she is flexible in ways that I'm not. And as you know, the big sister now, similar to what I would do in my career as a leader in my role, I learn from how she operates. And by merging those qualities, I keep getting stronger in different areas. Whereas if I found myself, you know, constantly competing, you don't really grow as exponentially. And I think at a certain level of like when you're you're focusing too much on being competitive with other people and maybe like meeting meeting some bar to be the same as other people, you aren't actually leaving room for yourself to go uh, ironically like be the be the best at something. If you're constantly playing like a a parody game, like you you aren't leaving space maybe for to go explore some something that you're really interested in that actually other people aren't. And maybe that could become your superpower. I think that can sometimes be misleading of, oh, I have to, I have to meet these, you know, five qualifications because everybody else has them. I, I actually think that can like lead down a tough path. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I think that this also speaks a lot to like a creative mindset, which I'm so curious to get into with you because you're, your role at Adobe is very, very interesting. And I think it's one that you've really carved out for yourself. So I'd, I'd love to, and I'm sure our listeners would really gain so much if you kind of talked us through, you know, your starting role at Adobe and how you found yourself in this position that you're in now. Yeah, so the team that I joined at Adobe, it's a little bit um, confusing because it kind of sits at the intersection of a few different functions and teams. But um, technically, I sit within our sales team. so. Um, this Adobe, for um, maybe people who don't know, is a company who makes products like Photoshop, PDF, um, and also marketing technology tools like Adobe Analytics. Um, the marketing technology tools, which is branded under our Adobe Experience Cloud, that's sort of my focus area, is helping, at the end of the day, support the sales of those products. I feel really fortunate to sit in a team that is based in a more management consulting style approach to selling. So um, we kind of take a human-centered design, design thinking approach where we'll look at, you know, how do we create products, services, and experiences for our clients that start from a place of empathy of the audience that they're trying to serve. So we'll help our um, clients. Um, I think Asha mentioned this, enterprise clients. Um, so businesses, a lot of like Fortune 500 companies, help them envision what their future state of their customer journey could look like from, you know, you shopping online, you add it to your cart, it shows up at your house, you return it, you know, thinking through all the steps of how somebody experiences your brand, how could we improve that using Adobe tools? So I would say the first year and change of my role was really learning that management consulting style of thinking. Um, coming from an advertising agency, I feel like I um, was so fortunate to be able to think like super blue sky all the time, really divergent. And management consulting is a little bit more of um, a mix of divergent and conversion thinking. So, you know, thinking about ideas, but then getting really specific on prioritizing them into recommendations and telling your client, like, this is what you should do to make your, their, your customer experience better. That was really the first year in, in change was learning that skill set, which um, was great. 
Um, but then more recently, I've kind of been able to go a little more out on my own and feel like people kind of understood like how I, again, how I was a little bit different than maybe some of the other people in my cohort that were tra more traditional management consultants, um, where I was able to go a little bit out um, on a limb and create this program called Innovation Recess, which is a problem solving program that we can use with our internal Adobe teams, with our clients, but it's all based around um, tactile brainstorming and tactile play. So we might have some sort of business challenge that Adobe is having internally or one of our customers is having. And we'll, we'll think about how we could solve that problem. But instead of just, you know, using like a Word doc or like sticky notes, we'll actually build things. We'll, we'll use Play-Doh, we'll use uh, Legos and think about what the, the solution to that problem could be uh, using our hands. Um, so it actually helps activate, you know, different parts of your brain. For people who maybe learn a little bit differently, it's a little more inclusive, especially with like virtual video chats. I think that plays to a very specific type of learner. So we're trying to be a little bit more inclusive about the way that we solve problems, particularly in a remote or hybrid work environment, and make sure everyone's voice comes to the table. So it's been just amazing to see um, even people who are skeptical, honestly, like that happens a lot. People, I put Play-Doh in front of people and they think I'm crazy, <laughs> probably rightfully so. But the, there's such a cool like light bulb that you see go off in people's heads um, when they start playing with it. And they're like, oh, I actually, because of like the color of the Play-Doh or, you know, I just started playing with it. And an idea kind of came to me that I am thinking about this a little bit differently than I would have if we had just been doing things the same way we always have. So it's been so fun. I love that. And I also, I just, I love that we're sharing your story because I feel like people can assume like either you go a creative route or you go a corporate route. And here you are working in a very big corporation and you're putting Play-Doh in front of people. And you, they, you came up with this idea, you know, that is kind of out there, but you were able to bring it in and that it's actually had really quantifiable results and solutions, you know, for your business. Um, but it, it's such a fun, like creative, like just bi big idea that, that um, you might not assume you could do something like that in a corporate setting. So I, I love that. Visual. Yeah, it's been it's been so fun, too. I think like to be able to brand the program and come up with like the name and the, the color palette that we use to talk about it. And it, it really has become kind of a brand of its own. And one thing that's been so fun about creating it from scratch is just this concept of, of recess of always being a kid uh and that's why like asha when you asked me to come on this i it was just so exciting thinking about how your audience is teen girls and i feel like at that time in any you know 16 17 year old's life like you just want to not be a kid like you want to grow up and i i think for me being 30 what's really interesting about this point in my life and in my career is that now every day I'm seeking out and like cherishing the opportunities to bring a sense of childlike nostalgia or curiosity to my work and, and inspire my team. So it's all it's all connected too to like when we're younger, we're more willing to fail. When we get into middle school, high school, I think failure becomes a lot higher stakes and scarier. And we continue all those patterns into adulthood. And actually like my job in this corporate world, Asha, to your point, is to help people break down some of those barriers that they have that prevent them from presenting some wacky idea to a client because they think the client would hate it. But also what if it, what if it could be a transformational idea that could transform the client's business? Like we need to be sharing those, you know, if they're in people's heads, like they should be out there. So it's so interesting how you, we kind of like, we take, we learn these things in childhood, we carry them into adulthood, we grow up and then all we want to do is be a kid again. And play the way that we did when we were kids. So it's this whole like weird cyclical thing that I'm finding now. I just love this theme of kind of like reaching back and reaching forward. And I literally had a mentor of mine, you know, remind me, he's like, you need to be okay with failing forward. And the first thing that came to my mind was thinking about like my daughter recently learned how to walk and she's in this phase of like rapid brain development, you know, like her brain is changing and growing faster than it will anytime you know, as she gets older and older, but just watching her fall down on her face and get back up and just keep doing whatever she was doing over again and trying it a different way. And 
and having no hesitation to that, you know, or she's crying one second and then it's okay, I'm, I'm done and I'm on to the next thing. Um, and being inspired by that sense of, you know, kind of boldness and, and uh, fearlessness that we can have when we're, we're really young. Sad that we lose that, but, you know, at least there's, there's clearly no reason why you can't gain it back. You just kind of have to be in the right mindset and feel a sense of, we talk about like psychological safety a lot in my job when we're setting up, you know, okay, we're going to have this brainstorm or this workshop. How do we make everyone feel comfortable to share? Um, which again is where like the empathy comes back into play and creating that environment where people will share that that wild and crazy idea and not feel like something bad is going to happen. Because that that's, you know, a fear-based mentality, which is the opposite of innovation. So it's it's just been such a fun role. And honestly, like five years ago, I didn't even know I could have this job, which I think is a testament to the conversation we've been having. Totally. We focus a lot about how um, being a communicator and always honing your communication skills and how you connect with other people is such a source of confidence throughout our lives. Do you have any specific tactics, techniques, things that you think of when you're communicating and connecting with people, whether it's at work or in your community, um, and have you seen that contribute to your sense of confidence? I feel like there's definitely those things that probably come up on every like Google search, right, of being an active listener and nodding and say, starting your sentences with what I'm hearing is this, or I think you're saying that, but I, maybe if I go like a little more introspective with it, being like a good communicator with yourself, like I, I think I personally benefit a lot from like, if you, if you were to go into my phone, just like the amount of notes that I have of just me kind of like processing thing again always been like a little kid and had a lot of feelings like for me I've I've always had to like process my thoughts myself and I actually I read something about how people who um have you know a lot of emotions tend to do better on like verbal standardized tests because they're always like thinking thinking through their their thoughts and like writing things out and I wonder if that like actually is, is true for me the way that you communicate yourself and the with yourself and the, the narratives that you you tell yourself are actually become really powerful to, for the way that you show up with other people. I think that concept of self-talk is something I didn't really know much about maybe in, until like the past couple of, honestly, Asha, I think it was probably that fostering creativity class that we took at Marshall where we, we learned a lot from a, like a psychology professor at USC who taught this class about the way that you talk to yourself, like what are your biggest fears, having to share those with the class. We literally sat in a circle and had to go around with all of our classmates who are, you know, we would see like in their suits going to job interviews and we had to sit on little cushions and say like what our biggest fears and limiting beliefs were. And I think once you've done that, like, you know, communication and confidence uh, takes on a whole different meaning because you're sharing it with people that some of whom you've never really talked to before and just putting yourself out there and being honest with yourself and then being able to share that with other people I think is super powerful and having that opportunity to like listen to other people sharing that too I felt like that was so that gave me a weird sense of confidence to like listen and be like wow this actually isn't like this shameful thing this shameful fear that I have like actually you know that's not so different from this person's version of that fear or everybody has something, you know, and, and it that kind of emboldens you to say that like, all right, then why would I let this thing limit me? You know, I mean, that course was so great. That's another reminder, like it, in business school, like we had, there's classes like that, that you can take. Um, that one was fostering creativity. I think I, I took a class that was um, a mindfulness class and like interspersed those classes with like the more serious, like, <laughs> you know, stats classes and you know, legal classes and different things that we did. And, and um, it's all really, really important, helpful. And uh, some of the most like impactful classes of that whole experience. And I think it's interesting too, like you, you know, we've been talking so much about creativity, but I'm actually just realizing now how much communication was lumped into that curriculum. Like they really do go hand in hand. Like if you, if you want to be in a creative field, 
maybe any field, the, the biggest common thread is going to be the ability to communicate your idea. What you're you're doing is such good work because it, it is so readily applied to any career path. That's why I think I wasn't personally an English major, but I, I don't know if they really get the respect that they deserve because no matter what field you go into, whether you're writing emails or presenting to people or whatever it is, like you, you have to be able to communicate with people. Um, I'm so thankful for having a liberal arts education where at least writing was such a focus. Well, and I also love that you really reflect on how important that self-talk is, because I think with anything in life, you have to be able to be self-reflective in order to move through the world in the least biased way, at least in my opinion. And I think that enables you to be more empathetic, because if you understand where your own perceptions are coming from or your your own judgments are coming from, then you can kind of start to break those things down and open yourself for opportunities for learning and transparency and that big one, which we love um, listening and <laughs> listening actively. I mean, it's very inspiring to hear you bring all of these thoughts and ideas to real life and to really exemplify what we what we hope to provide to all of our teen girls here at Bridget. I actually had one more. I wrote down the word empathy and I wanted to circle back to this because we talked about it very early on in the interview and how important it's been to your career. And then I wrote down a little question about, you know, I think that empathy is obviously such a strength um, and sometimes it's grouped in as a feminine strength. Um, Have you ever been in a situation or in a workplace where you had pressure not to be feminine or to have these kind of like more feminine, like, you know, but yes, empathy can be taken to an extreme where you're just, you know, not able to keep a center. But have you ever kind of felt that need to like rein things in or give given advice to like fight those more quote unquote, like feminine um, qualities? Yeah, the, it actually came up kind of recently. I haven't read this book, but there's a book called um, like where you've been won't get you where you're going or something. And apparently it's about how like when you're more in an individual contributor role within a company, the strengths that you had actually like you have to learn how to kind of flip them when you become into a more of a managerial role. So for me, that's going to be not letting my empathy in some situations get the best of me. For example, like if if I'm working with someone and they tell me, I have too much on my plate. I can't, I can't get this all done. My instinct is going to always be, because I I do think it's an instinct. Okay. I'll take it back. I'll do it. Don't worry. I don't like, I want to make sure that you're okay and that you're taken care of. And I think for me, I'm going to actively have to fight that instinct and instead pause and say like, okay, well, how can we reprioritize? You know, what can be pushed to next week? Do we really need to, you know, do all of these things? Would we we be fine doing 80% of whatever analysis this is instead of the full thing? So it's it's going to take me kind of, yeah, th- this is something that I'm actually like actively working on is how how do I keep that trait that, you know, I is report, repeatedly cited in my reviews and has kind of, I think, in some senses become part of my professional brand. Um, but not have it hold me back by knowing how to kind of like not lose it, but like counteract for it um, and like cushion for it a little bit. So that that's something that's like an ongoing thing for me, like coming into a more of a, a manager role for the first time. And it's it's hard, but I, I, I have thought about that, you know, it being a more feminine trait. And I would say that at the companies that I've been in, I've never felt like I had to be less empathetic or less feminine even in business school you know I I always kind of like rejected the recruiting settings where I had to wear a suit because it just didn't feel like me and it did feel kind of like we were putting on some sort of like masculine like costume I think some women do better with that than I do again kind of like carving out the areas in which you feel comfortable and not feeling bad about it (laughs) Like, okay, if wearing a suit isn't for me, then like, I'm not gonna. And it's okay. I know. I remember when I worked in like finance, 
I told myself, because I was like, I want to be taken seriously. So I will wear the black suit. And I actually like deliberately didn't buy feminine colors to wear like shirts underneath. I was like, no, no, no purples, no pinks, no, nothing that looks, no burgundy even. I was like blue, white, like, <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to be taken seriously because I, you know, even the way I did my hair and makeup or anything tried to kind of masculinize everything. Um, and then like looking back on that and sometimes, you know, whatever, like maybe that would be, that was my energy. And if I wanted to continue that, that'd be great. But for me, you know, ultimately kind of after swinging one way and then the other, it's like, okay, now I'm in a, a field where you have to look professional, but it's like, yes, if I want to wear pink, I'm going to wear pink, <laughs> you know, and that's what, how I'm showing up and I'm just going to be as much of a badass. Yeah. I think you can figure it out as time goes on too, especially for, um, you know, our audience members that are just moving into like a professional space. Like you aren't going to be the same person you are today in five years and you will continue to build, you know, your personal brand, but it doesn't have to be the exact person you are today and it doesn't have to be all figured out. And I think we're so lucky what for me, I think it definitely feels like at least in, in business and um, you know, in the world of feminism, we have this really darling opportunity to create spaces for ourselves where we're comfortable, where we feel safe, and to really just work from a place of authenticity and honesty if if we allow ourselves to do it. And you can find those spaces at work too. Um, like Adobe, I'm so fortunate they have a program uh, called Women's Executive Shadow Program that I did this past summer. Or if you're ad admitted, um, you know, you apply, you do an interview. And if you're admitted, you're paired, they hand pair you. There's a whole committee. It's a whole big thing. They pair you with an executive. And so I was able to shadow our CEO over the summer and watch him. You know, how does he leverage empathy in um, in meetings? You know, how how does he encourage other people to be creative and surface their wild and crazy ideas? Um, so that's all opt-in. You know, these executives are opting in to have women shadow them and show them what different career paths can be. So, I mean, it feels very aligned to to your mission. Um, but I, I think I've just been so impressed with how companies more and more, I think, are carving out these spaces for, for women who are in an ex exploring phase of what could I do here? You know, you don't always have to have the same job within a company and you can have multiple, they call them like Adobe lives where that's encouraged to explore and, and have those pathways be open. So I've just found that if you go looking for it, whether through more formal or informal means, you can, you can find women who will support you and support that, that authentic version of you. I think that's such an inspiring place to, you know, start transitioning to our fast five. I, I feel like we've had so many great nuggets from this interview. And I'm so glad that we did this. So um, yeah, let's, so our next little segment is just fast five questions. Just say whatever comes to the top of, top of your mind. I'll start with the first one. What was the most productive mistake you've ever made? Gosh, how, where do I begin? I don't know if I could call this a mistake, but I didn't get into my dream school for undergrad. And it was the most bone crushing thing at the time that had ever happened to me. And it ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. My friends from undergrad are still my best friends. I would, they've taught me like everything I know about being a thoughtful, nice person. I wouldn't change the four years I had for anything, even though at the time it was like the small envelope, not the big envelope. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> what was your undergrad program? Uh, marketing in Spanish. I was a double major. At when, what was the, oh, the, the, the school? Stonehill College. It's like 45 minutes from where I grew up. Okay. Question number two, how do you pull yourself out of creative blocks? I don't keep thinking about it. I, I change my environment. I go, if I'm sitting at my computer, I go for a walk. If I'm, you know, at the office, I'll go home. Uh, I have, I, I've caught myself enough times to know that if I'm stuck staring at it, it's not going to fix it. I have to go do something else and it'll be in my subconscious. Um, can you share an embarrassing or silly moment? Sure. Um, well, actually, when I the shadow program that I mentioned, I was so nervous to meet him the first time I'd done like hours of prep, like watched his interviews on YouTube and talked to all these people who had worked with him in different capacities. <laughs> when he came on the, the um, like Zoom video chat, 
I, I gasped. <laughs> I, I was so starstruck that I had done all this prep and like all I could get out was like, hi, thank you for the time. I, and, but I, I, I like gulped <laughs> before I could talk and I'm sure he a hundred percent heard it like through the audio. I, I, maybe I'm not the first person that's happened to, but I was, I was like, oh my God, you did all this prep and you're going to like gasp and gulp and not be able to get your words out <laughs> when you're meeting the, the head of your company. That's, that's a good look. <laughs> but it ended up being okay. Right. <laughs> that's the thing. Like he, it's just a testament to how like kind he is. Like but he went um, to USC's uh, right. One of their rivals, UC Berkeley. So we were like joking about that and he made me feel super comfortable, but gosh, yeah, all the prep in the world can't prepare you for when like someone joins the call and you're just like starstruck and can't get your words out. <laughs> okay, favorite specific creative go-to outlet lately? Mm, definitely multimedia collage. Um, so I've actually, I feel like during COVID, I started burning like a lot more candles because I was working from home and just wanted some like serenity, but I ended up saving all of the jars. And um, so I, I like clip magazines and like put, I create these like mosaic collage um, jars. So I've like put flowers in them and give them to like gal as like Galentine's gifts or they're like pencil holders or something, but it's just, it's like mindless again, like heads down introvert time for me and just like thinking time. It's, it's like so therapeutic. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And I need to see pictures of it. Yeah. I'll send you some. <laughs> For number five, what is one piece of advice that you would give to your 16-year-old self? Don't feel guilty for having fun. This was definitely a narrative that was more placed on me. My parents were like, take mental health days. Like They, they did not need to push me in high school. I pushed myself enough. Um, but I think what I treasure so much about undergrad was I had such a balanced time. Like I I tried hard in school. I had internships and stuff, but I also just like had so much fun. Like I studied abroad and went to dinner with my friends every night and like went and did things on the weekends. Um, and I think not, not feeling guilty or feeling like you're doing something wrong if you're having fun. I think it's, especially with like TikTok and stuff, the things I see now, I feel like girls must be so stressed out of, and like, I don't know if high schoolers have LinkedIn, but like, oh, I have to be doing all of these things to like get into this college and like have this future. And there's actually like value in having fun and being able to talk to people and, you know, having being able to form like interpersonal connections. And I just wish I like gave myself a little more space to do that and didn't like worry so much. Speaking of sisters, my sister recently, um, she writes this list of like lessons she wants to pass on to her son, who's like three weeks older than my daughter. And one of the points, and yes, Archana, I read them. I take them in. <laughs> um, one of them was fun is a worthwhile pursuit. And I was like, that's so concise and so true. Um, I love that piece of advice to your 16-year-old self. Well, Tasha, this was such such a pleasure. You are so warm and such a good communicator and so just approachable and relatable. Um, and there were just so many, so many really valuable, important points in this interview. So thank you so much for your time. This was so fun. Appreciate it. Yes, it's, it's been an honor. Thank you for being on our show. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?